the more compassion we have towards animals, the more compassion we're going to have towards other people. If you can value them all, you, you really value yourself as well. So even if you don't care about animals, the, the things we do that hurt animals end up hurting ourselves. It's almost kind of a dominion type issue where we feel we need to control everything. Dominion means stewardship, to take care of. What would a cow think about satisfying our habit? The challenge lies with looking at suffering from the perspective of the person or individual suffering. Welcome to Voices for the Animals on KBOO Portland. This is your host, Noah Bristol. Julianne Schwartz, Michelle Coppola, and I bring you this show on the fourth Friday of every month at 10 a.m., or you can listen online anytime at kboo.fm slash Voices for the Animals. We are on the air to give voice to the urgent animal welfare and rights issues happening locally, regionally, and worldwide. Before we get to today's guest, first some animal news from around the world. A Pakistani court has approved the relocation of a captive elephant named Kavan to a large animal sanctuary in Cambodia following a campaign by animal rights activists claiming mistreatment of the elephant, who had been kept in the small capital zoo for three decades and kept in chains for the last several years. In Kenya, Elephant poaching has fallen by 91% due to effective wildlife conservation and anti-poaching efforts, including enhanced surveillance, anti-poaching units, and increased prison time and fines for poachers. So far, just seven elephants have been poached in 2020. This is down from 34 in 2019 and 80 in 2018. While in the last six years, wildlife poaching on the whole in Kenya has fallen by 90%. The total number of elephants in Kenya has more than doubled between 1989 and 2018. Tourism Minister Najib Balala announced on Wednesday that the population has risen from 16,000 to more than 34,000 since 1989. Former British Fur Trade Association CEO Mike Mosier, age 64, has left the industry and spoken out against it, saying, quote, how can anybody not be devastated by the fear and the pain that those animals are obviously suffering? I just felt like I could no longer, with my hand on my heart and with good faith, defend the industry. One of my main regrets is that I didn't leave earlier. Those animals are caged for their entire lives and that can't be right." End quote. Mosher spent over a decade in the industry, initially at the International Fur Federation and then with the British Fur Trade Association. All Dutch mink fur farms are now to close permanently by 2021. This industry was first banned in 2013 with a complete phase-out planned for 2024, but now the ban will be fast-tracked after COVID-19 was discovered in more than 40 Dutch fur farms. Mink can contract the disease and spread it to humans, and at least two humans who have come into contact with mink have contracted the virus. Dr. Joanna Swab, Senior Director of Public Affairs for Humane Society International in Europe, said, quote, This signals the end of suffering for millions of animals confined to small wire cages on fur farms in the Netherlands. We commend the government on its decision to end this incredibly cruel and completely unnecessary industry and protect citizens. End quote. Interest in veganism has hit an all-time high in 2020, 
according to a report compiled by food-centric media outlet Chef's Pencil. Using Google Trends data, the report analyzed the popularity of vegan search terms around the world in a variety of languages. Quote, data from Google Trends show that the popularity of veganism is at an all-time high, surpassing the prior all-time high registered in 2019. To put things into perspective, veganism is now twice as popular as it was just five years ago, and it doesn't show any sign of slowing down. End quote. The group Animal Wellness Action has called for tougher enforcement of cockfighting breeders in Kentucky, alleging that breeders are illegally shipping fighting birds overseas. The group sent letters to Kentucky's two U.S. attorneys, urging them to look into seven Kentucky breeders for potential federal violations. Kentucky is one of only eight states in the USA that treat cockfighting as a misdemeanor rather than a felony. In July, a federal judge awarded over $176,000 in attorney fees and expenses to animal rights advocates who successfully challenged provisions in a Kansas law that banned the secret filming at slaughterhouses and other livestock facilities. It was U.S. District Judge Catherine Vertil who issued the award after finding earlier this year that the state's quote-unquote ag-gag law unconstitutionally criminalized free speech. Vertil issued a permanent injunction against it in April. Now for our guest. Today we get to speak with Jessica Jansen, a coordinator for Animal Places Food for Thought campaign. The campaign works with various animal welfare, social justice, and environmental organizations to adopt animal and earth-friendly menu policies for fundraising and sponsored events, which aligns those menus with the values that those organizations already espouse. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you for having me, Noah. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. So can you tell us about the Food for Thought program? Why is it important? Who does it help? Absolutely. So the Food for Thought program helps nonprofits adopt humane, sustainable, and healthy plant-based meal policies. And it's incredibly important for these nonprofits, which are mainly uh, animal shelters, rescues, sanctuaries, environmental and organizations and social justice organizations. It's important to have them uphold this mission because we look to them as nonprofits to exemplify what we think is just and right. They have a, a, an obligation to uphold those values. So before your campaign gets involved, I might be at a fundraising dinner for a society that is for animal welfare and is trying to help animals, but I might be served animal flesh on my plate. That is correct. Many do. Is it difficult to make these organizations see that contradiction, or do you find that they're fairly open to the message? Well, I find that they're fairly open to the message. We have come so far in animal welfare and so far in general in the nonprofit world. And I think we're starting to become more accepting of other people's views. We're starting to be more accepting of what values we're supposed to uphold as an organization. And when you have a shelter or a sanctuary or a rescue serve animals as a choice on their menu, it's a contradiction, whether it be consciously or subconsciously deciding whether that animal deserves saving or they didn't. Um, many shelters even adopt out farm animals. And how can you search for a home for a farmed animal when your event serves that animal as food? Um, and it's not always intentional, but it is a contradiction to the mission that they say they uphold. And what are some of the success stories maybe from the past of organizations who you've had an impact on? 
we had an incredible impact. We started the campaign in 2013, and then we sort of revamped the campaign in 2015. And at this point, we have over 400 policyholders. So that means over 400 organizations adopted either a vegetarian or a vegan menu policy. And that's not just for events. We find ourselves in this time of COVID struggling to have fundraisers and galas and such. But really what it comes down to is that menu policy says that you will not provide any animal products, whether that be a, a lunch that you may have for your employees, or whether you have a barbecue, or whether you have an adoption event, or whether it's a very large gala to raise money for your organization. That's incredible success. Over 400 organizations who have changed their ways because of the Food for Thought campaign. It is incredible. And it's funny, people often think they're going to get an incredible amount of pushback from donors and volunteers. And the truth is that they have rousing success rates. And it's often people coming forward to us and saying, I work at this shelter, or I go to this shelter to adopt these animals. And I myself, you know, live a plant-based life. And I would really like to see the organization that I work for or support adopt the same values. And so we often get referred these organizations by donors and by volunteers and by staff members. That makes a lot of sense. So you said that there have been changes in how these organizations raise funds during this time of pandemic and the quarantine. Have there been any other changes to the Food for Thought campaign? Has it become more relevant or less relevant in certain ways? Absolutely. There's been a huge metamorphosis. And I think it's been a combination of how we are received and also how we function in the campaign. So much of how we function is based on outreach. Each of us as coordinators has a database, and that database functions for an entire region. So, for example, I am the central coordinator. I work with all the Midwestern states. And so I go through my database, and I look for organizations to reach out to. And because so many organizations have shuttered their doors during a, this time or because they have stopped having events, it has been a little bit harder to get people to respond to emails or to get on the phone. And so we've had to redirect ourselves as a campaign. We had to learn how to change our language so that we could be heard, so that we could reach out to people. We started using new programs so that we could draft language for individuals to look at so they don't have to do all the work themselves because these shelters and rescues and organizations are so busy. And we know they're busy and we know they do a very, very important job. So we've really had to redirect as a campaign, but we're having a lot of success after that redirection. And then as far as how we're received, it's also been a huge change. People are seeing the world change and they're seeing how that is affecting what they're doing every day, what they're serving on their plates, what they're serving to their, their volunteers and their donors. And so they do want to take more responsibility for their actions. And so I'm getting a lot of positive response from rescues and shelters. And I think also environmental organizations are very concerned with how climate change has been affected by animal agriculture. Animal agriculture is the number one cause of climate change. And so when they recognize that and they see that their mission is to protect the planet and to protect their resources, they know that what they serve and how they present themselves is huge. It's, it's monumental. And same with social justice organizations. We know that these factory farms operate in areas that people of color reside in. They're low-income minority areas. And these factory farms also employ minority 
Americans, and they are working in incredibly unsafe conditions. We saw during COVID that many of them were going to their jobs at these factory farms, and they were bringing home COVID-19, and it was being blamed on their minority status. It was being blamed on their cramped living conditions or their close quarters. But in reality, what it was, was these factory farms were spreading They were trying to use people of color as an excuse for that illness. So all of these things are incredibly relevant right now. So it's not just animal welfare organizations, but environmental ones that you reach out to, right? Absolutely. It's, it's animal welfare organizations. It's environmental and social justice. It's, it's very much based on nonprofit status. Mm-hmm. Have you also reached out to health-focused organizations like those uh, related to diabetes or cancer, which are diet-related diseases? We haven't, but that's a really fantastic idea. Uh, I myself have thought health is very related to a plant-based diet, and it would be a wonderful way to expand the campaign. So certainly we hope as the years go by, we see so much more growth than we already have. The campaign has many, many places to go. And I think as we start to become more friendly to plant-based diets and we start to connect it to ourselves and to our loved ones and to the health of our planet, we're going to want to start to adopt. We're going to start to make it a health choice and not just a moral choice. And so I see a lot of growth in the future for the yeah, I know that I wouldn't want to show up to a fundraising dinner for combating cancer or something and then be served foods that has been classified as carcinogenic, like red meat has. Absolutely. You would think that if you went to a sports event, you wouldn't see fast food being served to the athletes. So likewise, when you go to an event for some kind of health issue, you would expect a healthy I can only imagine that the campaign doesn't have a 100% success rate. So what are some of the reasons that organizations might give for refusing and how would you respond to those? Absolutely. I actually received an email today from an organization that was worried that if they presented themselves as an endorser of this program and were listed as an endorser on our website, that they might lose support, that they might lose donors. And that's a very, very common concern. I would say out of 100% of the emails that we receive, maybe 25% have those concerns. But that's why we have testimonials. And that's why we have videos on our webpage. And that's why we are working on compiling some statistics for people because it is very little impact, we believe, uh, the bottom line of an organization by making a menu policy change. And this Food for Thought campaign, it started in the organization Animal Place, right? And can you tell us about Animal Place and maybe the genesis of the Food for Thought campaign? Has anyone else been doing this kind of work before you? Absolutely. So Animal Place is a wonderful safe haven for animals. It is one of the oldest and largest sanctuaries for farmed animals in the U.S. It's located in Grass Valley, California. And since about 1989, it's been a leader in rescue, sanctuary work, and advocacy for farmed animals. So it's not just a place where animals can come for the rest of their lives to be safe and respected, but it's also a place of great advocacy. And the Food for Thought campaign is a passion of Kim Sterla, who is the founder, because when she worked in the sheltering industry, she came across a pig named Zelda that was at the shelter that they loved and doted upon and really treated like it was a pet of theirs. And at the same time, they had a fundraiser for dog kennels. And at that fundraiser, pork was served. And Kim felt that connection very deeply. So when she started Animal Place, food for thought was born from that 
understanding that you have to be able to equate a farmed animal to a domestic animal. They are one and the same. So that's how Food for Thought came to be, based on a sweet little pig named Zelda. That's a great story. And I'd like to know a little bit more about you personally. How long have you been working with Food for Thought? And what has is, what is some of your personal favorite moments been? Well, I'm coming up on my first year anniversary with the Food for Thought program, which is really exciting. And I can tell you, I have worked in the animal welfare field and in animals field in general for over 25 years. And this is probably the most fun I've ever had. <laughs> uh, I love what I do. I absolutely love what I do. I love who I represent. I love what Animal Place stands for. I love what the Food for Thought campaign stands for. And honestly, I think these interviews are probably the highlight for me. I really enjoy outreach. I really enjoy seeing these organizations adopt a policy and get excited about it and see change in their organization. But what I love the most is when I get a chance to talk to people about what we do, when I get to help educate the public. So these interviews, for me, the couple that I do a month are the most enjoyable part of my day. <laughs> well, I'm happy to provide that for you. And I think our audience will agree. Absolutely. I, I have a wonderful time on the campaign. We have a great team. We're a team of all women on the campaign. So we're really proud of that. You know, women doing incredible work for animals. Uh, we just really love what we do. We love working together. We all work remotely. So we are very lucky in this time where we don't have to be out and, and be in public. But Animal Play itself the workers are there every day they're still there every day mm -hmm. providing quality loving care to all the animals at the sanctuary and so we support them hugely and what we do every day is for their hard work and also for the animals at animal place that are so important so precious to us you are listening to Voices for the Animals with Noah Bristol this month I'm talking with Jessica Jansen a campaign coordinator of the Food for Thought campaign with Animal Place. The Food for Thought campaign is all about simply demonstrating to organizations that already espouse the values of caring for animals and caring for the environment to serve food that is in alignment with those values. So Jessica, is this a national campaign or have you gone out to other countries? We are international. We work with Canada. We have policyholders in Europe. We see a lot of change worldwide for animals and a lot of change towards plant-based diets at nonprofit organizations. So we have not just contained ourselves within the U.S. We have really spread. Well, I know from any kind of activism or nonprofit work, those moments when you can see real tangible progress are some of the best moments because when you feel like you're spinning your wheels and maybe speaking with individuals or organizations who don't want to don't want to hear what you have to say it can feel like you're you're not making much progress but even one person changing the way that they eat or that they think of animals or one organization changing their policies can make a big difference and it's that one at a time sort of approach that can add up to huge changes, like having over 400 organizations now supporting the Food for Thought campaign. Absolutely, and our work is, is very rewarding, but it's hard won. We do a lot of outreach with these organizations. It can take 12, 15, 30 emails to one nonprofit and several phone calls and several drafts of policy language before we actually get a policy win. So sometimes it feels like you 
there's limited amount and when you get a policy change from a nonprofit because you put so much effort into it. And many of us in animal welfare know that we work hard every day, whether you are working at a rescue or you're working at a shelter or you're doing something in legislation or you're doing something in campaign work like we are, we're all working for the same common goal. And so when we do get a win, we, we feel that as, as a profession, we feel that together. Well, right now, uh, 2020, of course, has been a doozy of a year with many different issues rearing their heads. And right now, of course, human rights and the treatment of, of other humans is forefront in many people's minds. And do you see that there's a relationship between how we treat uh, non-human animals and how we treat each other? Absolutely. When we talk about equality, we do talk about equality for all sentient beings. And I think people are understanding that more and more. And I think it's a very relevant conversation to have now. So we're entering an exciting time where we're, we're caring more about our fellow humans. And we're also caring more about our fellow animals. So I see a lot more recognition in people when we talk about treating everyone with kindness and treating everyone with compassion because all living beings do deserve that. Have you, you said you've been working in the, this field for 25 years. Can you tell us about some of your other favorite experiences in that time or maybe how you've seen uh, society change over the last 25 years in regards to animals? I mean, I've always been an animal lover. I can remember being a kid and walking around with a petition to all my neighbors' homes and knocking on the door and asking them to to stop animal testing and it's always been a passion of mine and when I went into the field it was originally with farmed animals. I worked on many different campaigns. I actually was part of a wonderful campaign that was Yes on Three back in 2016 which was the first time we passed legislation that said no gestation crates and no battery cages can be used in factory farming and animal agriculture. And we've seen that spread to California. And now that I live here in Colorado, I see our governor stepping forward and making the same proposition to people, more kindness for farmed animals. I've been very lucky in my life to be able to be part of that advocacy and to see people grow more and more compassionate towards animals over time. I learned so much more about animals over time. There were so many things that I didn't know when I was a younger advocate that I've learned now from my mentors and my colleagues. So I've really enjoyed having that kind of a career. It's, it's impassioning and it gives you a reason to get out of bed every morning. Should we be optimistic about the future? 100%. I see really great things happening for the animal welfare movement. And I see incredible kindness coming out of humans. And it's hard to remember that when we're going through such tough times. But People are really incredible, and they're incredible of change and, and, and compassion, and they're, they're growing. And I, I have faith that we'll see animal welfare grow in a really positive direction, and we'll see social justice grow in a positive direction, and also environmentalism. Well, that's an inspiring vision, Jessica. Thank you for sharing that with me and with our audience. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about yet? Yes, I would love to invite people to visit our website. We love to have people share their experiences with us. If there is someone who's been to an event where they've seen animal products served and it, it frustrates and upsets them, please reach out to us. Let us know so that we can reach out to that organization and maybe help them adopt a policy. We have a page where you can submit 
to be a volunteer. We have many volunteers that work on our databases to help strengthen the information that we have so we can reach out to more people. There are also um, plenty of resources so that you can find out if your local rescue or shelter or favorite nonprofit actually has a menu policy. Some do and you just don't know it. So we have a very extensive brandly refurbished, brandly new refurbished website and we would love for people to check it out. And what was that website again? It is foodforthoughtcampaign.org. Gotcha. And that's a great point. If someone has been to a dinner at a society or an organization that has these values and is working towards a better world for animals and the environment, but the menu didn't line up with those values and you thought, hmm, this, this doesn't feel quite right, you might not be able to or want to contact that organization yourself, but that's why the Food for Thought campaign is here. So if they had that experience. Again, they can find you at foodforthoughtcampaign.org and submit yes, a report. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And often these organizations don't realize the contradiction while they're in mm -hmm. the middle of it. So reach out to us. Let us know. We have a very tactful and kind way of reaching out to organizations, and we would love to be able to do that on their behalf. Well, this has been Noah Bristol with Voices for the Animals speaking with Jessica Jansen of Animal Places Food for Thought Campaign. It's been a real pleasure, Jessica. Thank you again. And for the listeners, Voices for the Animals airs at 10 a.m. on the fourth Friday of every month, or you can listen online anytime at kboo.fm slash voices for the animals.